Well, hey, church, glad to see you guys here this morning. Uh, the last couple of weeks here at Grace, we have been diving into the life of a king named David. Uh, David existed about a thousand years uh, before Jesus was born. He's one of the most documented figures in all of ancient history. Uh, he, was, uh, he was the king of Israel, and all the kings that would come after him would all be compared to him, and the best ones would be described as, a, as those who walked in the ways of David. And I think what I like about this man is that I, when I look at his life and I look at the things that he struggled with, I feel like I could see myself in him, that he was a lot like a lot of us. He's just a plain guy who struggled. All right? He's one of those guys who he was always trying to do the right thing. All right? He had a relationship with God. He was always trying to follow God and do his life or live his life the way that God had called him to do. But he also failed just tragically in almost every area of his life. I mean, he failed as a king. He failed as a friend as a husband, as a dad, as a God follower. I mean, he failed in every area. And so in case you missed it, uh, let me just kind of get you caught up in what's going on, at least at this part in the story. Uh, the nation of Israel demands uh, from God a king. And so God gives them exactly what they asked for. God gives them a king, and his name is Saul. Now, Saul looks like a king, right? He's just one of those guys. He's taller than everybody else. He's stronger than everybody else. He's brave. He's young. I mean, he's just one of those guys that just looks like kingly just in and of himself. And things start off so well for King Saul. He's brave. He's courageous. He defeats Israel's enemies. He leads Israel the way that God has called him to lead Israel. And he follows God himself. The only problem is it just doesn't last that long. And eventually, King Saul rebels against God, and God rejects Saul as king. And so God uh, goes to this kind of old retired prophet. His name is Samuel. And he tells Samuel, he says, hey, I want you to go anoint a new king, somebody that I have picked out this time, um, a man after God's own heart, after his own heart. And so uh, Samuel goes, he finds the person that God was talking about, the guy that God was talking about, and it happens to be like a 13 to 14-year-old kid, right? Not at, at all what Samuel had in mind. He actually was the youngest from a no-name family living in a no-name town. He was a shepherd, which was like the lowest job in all of society. And uh, his own dad, remember we talked about this the first week, his own dad described him as like the insignificant runt, okay, of the family. And his name is David. And so Samuel anoints David as the future king, just as God has told him to. And, uh, and David actually ends up going back to the fields, going back to watching the sheep and being a shepherd again. And a couple years go by. Now, can you imagine being in those couple years, like those two years that he's just kind of waiting? Like he knows he's about to be the king. I mean, this is like intense. It's crazy. He probably cannot wait for that time. And here he is doing the lowest job serving everybody else. A couple years go by and nothing happens. Eventually, Israel goes to war um, with a neighboring nation. This nation is called the Philistines. This people group is called the Philistines. And uh, the Philistines actually invade um, Israel's territory. And they, can't, uh, they set up camp on top of a big hill. King Saul, he gathers up his army. And they come up and they camp on top of the next hill. And so you got two hills with two armies. And in the middle, you got this valley. And, uh, and it's kind of at a standstill because nobody wants to leave the high ground and attack uphill uh, the other army. And so they're all just kind of hanging out there. Uh, that Philistine army happens to have this, this champion among them. His name is Goliath. This guy is huge. He's nine foot, nine inches tall. 
He's undefeated, never been beaten, and he's got the latest armor. He's got all the weapons. And so he goes down for 40 days, if you can imagine that. He walks down the, uh, the ravine into the valley, and he shouts up at the Jewish army, and he basically challenges them to a fight. He says, hey, you guys send your champion to come fight me. I'm the champion of the Philistines, and whoever wins, all right, that's, or whoever loses, that's how we'll decide who wins and who loses this war. So instead of thousands of men dying, he says, only one man has to die. And so every day for 40 days, he taunts the nation of Israel, and he taunts God himself. Nobody wants to fight him. All right? Nobody wants to go in the ring toe-to-toe with that guy. And so one day, this 16-year-old David, uh, it's a couple years later now, he shows up at the camp. He's like kind of the, the delivery boy. All right? He brings some food for his brothers who happens to be in Saul's army. And when he happens to be there, he hears Goliath doing his daily taunt of God and of their nation and of King Saul. And the rest of the army... Their reaction is they are terrified, but David's reaction is he's offended that he would have the, the, that he would do such a thing. And he decides he is going to fight Goliath. Now, David doesn't have any real weapons, not any weapons of war. Uh, he doesn't have any armor. He's just a 16-year-old kid, just got his driver's license, all right, which he's super excited about, I'm sure. Um, he's just doing his thing, and he's like, I'm going to go do it. And they try to talk him out of it. They're like, David, you're too young. David, you can't do this. David, you don't know. This guy's a champion. David's like, I'm going to do this. God wants, I'm sure God wants this done. Did you hear him? Taunting God. Like that, we cannot just let that stand. And he's here on our land that God gave it us. And so he goes and he runs towards Goliath. And remember, as he's running down the hill, all right, um, I picture the Philistine army behind Goliath, and, and they're like, okay, finally, we got a champion. All right, let's go. Let's, we're going to watch a fight. This is going to be a good fight here. This guy's going to take on Goliath. And then they start, as David's getting closer and closer and closer, they start realizing, this is just a kid. And I bet one by one, individually, the men in the army, they just start laughing. Like, is this a joke? Like, what, what is this? Does this kid think, is this kid serious? Does he think he could... When? And then Goliath, Goliath's offended. He's ticked off that they would send a kid. And David, he's pumped because he knows God's about to do something. And then the, the Jewish army behind him, they're just embarrassed. Saying, is this it? This is all we got? And while David's there, as he runs out towards Goliath, he whips out his old, his old uh, uh, shepherd's sling and he throws a rock in, and he whips it as hard as he can, and it just so happens to hit Goliath right between the eyes, and it knocks Goliath out in front of both armies, and he runs up to Goliath, grabs Goliath's own sword, and he cuts Goliath's head off, just to make sure he's good and dead, and, uh, and Israel is all of a sudden miraculously saved through this 16-year-old kid. Now, from this moment on, that's where we left off last week. From this moment on, David is a, he's a, he becomes an instant hero just like overnight. I mean, think about it. He comes, he, he's this no-name runt of a kid, all right, and he becomes the giant slayer just overnight. And so obviously, as you can imagine, King Saul, he's just like, man, that's the kind of guy I want in my army. And so he is like, even though he's just a kid, hey, you're, you're serving me now, man. You're a, you're a giant slayer, like Goliath slaying, you know, warrior. And so Saul starts sending him out on missions and stuff. And uh, we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, verse 5. It says, David marched out with the army, and he was successful in everything that Saul sent him to do. 
right? He's successful in everything that he does. It says, so Saul put him in command of the fighting men, which pleased all the people, and Saul's servants as well. You would think that there would be a bunch of men in that group that would be like, well, I'm not, having, I'm not following some 16-year-old kid. Like, no way. But they're not. They're all like, dude, okay, that kid, that kid's got some guts. I respect that kid. And so they follow him, and everybody seems to be pleased with David. I mean, think about it. David has approval of two critical groups here. All right, number one, he's got approval of the military, right? Both the enlisted men who were all watched David take down Goliath, and they're all just like, whoa, all right? And then he's also got the approval of Saul's servants, meaning the officers, and, uh, and they like David as well. Not only does he have the approval of the military, but he also has the approval of the people and the people of the land. Everybody loves David. People even start writing, writing songs about him. I don't know if you've ever had a song written about you, all right? Um, but that's what they do about David. In the uh, next verse, it says, As the troops were coming back, when David was returning from killing the Philistines, so this is just a few days after David has killed Goliath, it says the women, they came out from all the, the cities of Israel to meet King Saul. Because, of course, everybody's like, I want to see the king. Let's see the king. All right, let's, let's check this out. They're victorious. They're victors. They beat the Philistines. They saved us all. I want to check out the king. And they were singing and they're dancing with tambourines and shouts of joy with three-stringed instruments, harps and stuff. And uh, as they danced, the women sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And they sing that over and over and over again. Now, think about David's life right now. High point, right? Right? You're like a national hero. All right, people are writing songs about you. Uh, you're all over the radio. I mean, this is like, this is great stuff for, for David, which is expected, right? Like, what, it's exactly what we'd expect from someone who has been anointed by God as the next king. I mean, this all makes sense to us. But Saul was furious, and he resented the song and he even complains to, like, the guys who are with him. He's like, they credited tens of thousands to David. Did I hear that right? Is that what they said? But they only credited me with thousands? Like, what more can he have but the kingdom? Like, are you, are you serious? Do they really think that that kid is better than me? And he is ticked. I mean, think about it. Just a few days before, Saul was stuck in a pretty bad spot. <laughs> he had an invading, you know, foreign army in his land challenging him every single day. They have this huge man named Goliath that's, that's part of the army and uh, that really wants to fight him. Remember, Saul's the tallest. He's the strongest um, on the Jewish side. And so everybody's looking at him as, hey, well, you're, the, you're our champion. Why don't you go out and fight Goliath? And Saul was crippled with fear. Nobody's willing to fight. Nobody's willing to get him out of this mess except for one kid, David. And through this kid, all of his problems have been taken care of. I mean, he should be celebrating, right? Like, he should be partying. Like, this is a time to, like, this is, this is a great time. Like, God saved them again, and it doesn't really matter. You know, Mama and I'd be like, it doesn't really matter how he did it. He did it, and I'm cool with that. Like, 16-year-old kid, whatever. Like, that's, that's good with me. But Saul, as he's listening to the song that the people are singing, jealousy starts taking over. And he completely, it completely sucks the joy out of the moment. And Saul just can't seem to see past it. And his issue is this. He can't get past comparing himself to David. See, he sees David's success and somehow attributes it to his failure. By the way, that's what comparison does. We understand that, right? Right? 
Comparison, we see someone else's success and all of a sudden it makes us feel like failures. Comparison, every single time, it sucks the joy out of your life. And we know this because every single person in this room, including myself, we all have experienced it because every single one of us, we all compare ourselves to others. I mean, have you ever found yourself stuck in the rut of comparing yourself to, to an, a particular person? Right? You ever do that? Okay. You guys keep your secrets. All right. <laughs> I know. I mean, this is what we do. We compare ourselves, right? We compare ourselves to the people all around us. We compare our kids to someone else's kids. We compare our husband to someone else's husband. We compare our wife to someone else's wife. We compare our job to someone else's job. We compare our house to someone else's house. We compare our car to someone else's car. We compare our clothes to somebody else's clothes. We compare our athletic abilities to someone else's athletic abilities or our grades to someone else's grades or our friends to someone else's friends or our looks to someone else's looks or our popularity to someone else's. I mean, I could go on, right? Like, we do this all the time. Just... Just like for me, for last summer, last summer, uh, Kate and I, we took our kids on uh, vacation. We went down to Florida. We had a wedding down there. And so after the wedding, we took a few days just to like hang out and drive around the state and go to the beach and show the kids the ocean. You know, that, just that kind of typical mom-dad stuff. I can't believe I said that. All right. So we, we, uh, so we're doing that. And it was fun. Like we had a good time. We did a bunch of stuff. And um, as we're driving back home, um, I was, uh, we were, I was, you know, I don't know exactly where it was, but I'm like looking at uh, social media and I realized that one of our friends was actually down in Florida at the exact same time that we were. They were just like on the other side of the peninsula, so a couple hours away. And so um, I'm looking at all the pictures that, that they did and I'm just like, man, we didn't do that, you know? He was like, dude, oh, their beach water was clearer than our beach water, you know, like that type of thing. And you're like, then you start thinking, then, then in my mind, I'm like, how'd they have money to pay for that? Wait, I probably make as much money as they do. I don't know. Maybe I don't. They're doing a lot cooler stuff. Their beach house is way better than our hotel. You know, like this, all, all this stuff. And you start comparing. And I start, and I'm like, I'm like, man, our vacation stinks. You're like, you know, it's just like this. I hate, you know, it's like, it sucks the joy. When you compare yourself to others, it sucks the joy out of your life. And more often than not, it leads to completely needless conflict. See, Saul begins to see David not as a friend, not as a hero, but as a rival. In verse 12, it says, Saul was afraid of David. Now, had David done anything to make Saul afraid? No. Right? Saul, everything David has done was serving Saul. It says, because the Lord was with David, but has left Saul. So David is experiencing the success that Saul had experienced because of God's help um, before Saul had rebelled against God. So therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him a commander over a thousand men, and David led the troops. So Saul, the way he decides to deal with this in his life, he's just like, I'm just sending David away. I have the power. I'm king. I'm his boss. He just says, David, get out of here. And while David was gone, he was successful. And he continued to be successful in all of his activities because the Lord was with him. Notice, why was David successful? Is it because he was such a good guy? Or is it because he was so strong or because he was so smart or anything like that? No, he was successful only because the Lord was with him. He was successful because God decided he would be successful. That's the only reason. It says, when Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. Have you ever been there? All right, with somebody that you've complained, or not complained, compared yourself uh, to, and somebody that you kind of, maybe they're like super nice to you, but somehow you just, you know, you almost view them as a rival instead of a friend. You know, has it ever happened in your life where you're just like, 
I mean, this is what you do. You just dread them. It's like, oh, I got to go into work today. I got to see him. Hey, he's going to have his, you know, his fancy car. He's going to pull up in his parking spot. I don't got to park, you know, like whatever it might be. You know, this is how we think. We just dread them. This is what comparing does. He says, but all Israel. So he, he saw dreads David, but all Israel, the whole nation in Judah, they loved David because he was leading their troops and he was doing a really, really great job. Now, throughout the next four years or so, what we see in, over the next, for here at Grace, over the next couple weeks, we're going to watch the deterioration of Saul, which stems from jealousy, which is fueled by his, his, um, his, his comparison with David, and we're going to watch Saul go down. We're going to watch the rise of David, and David's reputation is going to grow and grow and grow. In fact, King Saul's own family loves David. Uh, Saul's son Right? This is the son. It's like a prince of Israel, I guess. Uh, he's the son that, that uh, Saul envisions becoming the next king. Right? His name's Jonathan. Right? You'd think there would be some issues between Jonathan and David, but no, there wasn't. They were best friends. Right? He loves David. Right? Saul's daughter, Michael, she actually falls in love with David, the giant slayer, you know, strapping young 16-year-old guy. I mean, she, she falls in love with him. And, uh, and so Saul's own family... They love David. We see that in verse 28. It says, Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter, Michael, she loved him. In fact, David ends up marrying Michael and becomes a son-in-law to Saul. It's like Saul can't get away from this guy. It's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Right? It says, and he became even more afraid of David. And as a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. He says, every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers. And so his name became well known. See, think about it. Right now, just think about David's life. Things are going pretty well for him, right? 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 He's the future king. Right? Saul probably doesn't know it, but, but David knows he's going to be the future king. He's got a reputation now of, of being a warrior, of being a man. And he's only 16 years old. Imagine that. Right? Uh, he, he's, now he's, he's royalty. He's got the girl. He's successful in everything that he does. I mean, can you just imagine that in and of itself? Can you imagine just being successful in everything that you do? Like at work. You go to work, whatever you do, and you just, like, you do it the best you've ever done it every single time. It's awesome. And everybody notices. They're like, dude, you know, why are you being so good? You're showing up. Everybody in the office would be pretty awesome, right? Right? Okay? Every game that you play, you know, if you go play games or, or maybe you're on a sports team or whatever, you win everything. You score all the goals. You do, you know, you make all the touchdowns. You do all that. All right? Every, you know, going to work or going to school, you know, you, all the stoplights, are, are, they're all green, you know? You don't have to worry about it. It's like the sea of cars, traffic just parts for you. That'd be down Market Street. It'd be so nice, right? Right? Just successful. Your team's always winning everything. I know all you Browns fans, you can, uh, you know, like, oh, that'd be a dream. Like, like, you know, you got, imagine being successful in everything that you do. That was David. Because God's got him, and God's making this all happen. I mean, that's what it looks like to have a, you know, to be anointed by God. Like, sign me up for that. That sounds pretty good. Everything is going David's way. He's just got one problem, and that's that King Saul cannot stop comparing himself to David, and King Saul's jealousy is growing and growing and growing. See, uh, by chapter 18, which is what we're in, uh, Saul, he starts scheming a plan to kill David, 
Like, that's how bad it's gotten. He's just like, I'm about to, I just need him, I just need him gone. And then by the end of chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, uh, it says that he doesn't even care if David knows. He actually tries to kill David himself twice. And by chapter 19, Saul orders his soldiers to assassinate David. He makes it policy, saying, hey, if you see David, I want you to kill him on the spot. In fact, his son Jonathan, who happens to be David's best friend, has to go to Saul and be like, hey, man, hey, dad, like, dude, you need to chill. Like, this is crazy. David, he serves you. He's really good at everything. So, like, let's keep him around. He's good for you. You know, and Saul, actually, after he cools down, it says Jonathan brought David to Saul, and then he served him as he did before. So David, right, for at least for a little while, it's like David's like, whoa, I'm not, I'm, he's trying to kill me, I'm backing off. And then Jonathan kind of brings them back together, and you'd think things would be back to normal. David's working for Saul, he's commander of a thousand men, he's successful in every battle that he's in. He's also a harp player, okay, I don't know, those two things don't seem to go together to me, but that's what David does. He's really good at that, apparently. He's around 20 years old at this point. It says, now, one day, an evil spirit sent from the Lord, all right, we talked about this last week, it says, came on Saul as he was sitting in his palace, okay, so Saul's sitting there, um, basically, God's protection of Saul, uh, God left him, all right, that's kind of what's going on here, and uh, he was sitting in his palace holding a spear, and David was playing his harp, (laughs) It says, and Saul, he tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. Now, I don't know about you, um, but if someone tries to, like, kill me with a spear, you know, like, I'm just like, okay, like, we're not friends. You know, like, I get it. You don't like me, apparently. Like, I don't know how often you have, you know, a spear chucked at you, but it's not like a safe thing. You know what I mean? To have that happening to you all the time. Um, Here, David, right, he's doing his thing, and Saul just chucks a spear at him. To try to kill him. Actually, the word pin here, it literally means to strike a spear through David even into the wall. It's like the idea here is Saul's like, I'm going to chuck this spear so hard it's going to go right through David and then it's going to stick in the wall behind him. Like that's, like that's not like a nice thing, you know? Like we're not, we're not friends here. And so he throws it. <laughs> and as the spear, it struck the wall. So as he throws it, it's not like, you know, he's just got this like wimpy throw. And David's like, were you trying to kill me? Or did you just drop your spear? Like I can't tell what's going on here. It's not what's going on. It's like David's playing his, you know, his harp thing. And then the spear like sticks in the wall next to his head. That's what's going on. And he's just like, what is, are you serious right now? And so look what David does. David eludes him. Now notice, let me just point this out real quick. Maybe I should say, notice what David doesn't do. If I were in that moment, I'll be honest, and I was successful in everything, and I already was a warrior, and people knew that, like, I think I would probably just pull the spear out of the wall and chuck it right back, you know? Like, like, I think that's what I would, I would have called it self-defense. I would have been like, hey, you guys saw him throw that at me first. I'm just, I'm just defending myself. He's tried to, he tried to kill me. All right, this is actually Saul's third time he's chucked a spear at David in his life. And, and he could have done that. I mean, think about it. And, and this is the way I would reason. If I were David, I'd be like, well, I'm, I know I'm the next king. God's already, already promised that. I know that King Saul's going down, and somehow he's going to have to die before I become king. Maybe I'm the one who's supposed to do this. He attacked me first. All right, I'm not the, you know, I, this is all self-defense, and so I have to defend myself. God's on my side. I mean, I know I'm going to be successful anyway, but he didn't. Really got me thinking. What do you do when somebody chucks a spear at you? 
obviously, that's figuratively, <laughs> you know. Um, I don't think any of us have spears chucked at us often these days. But what I'm saying is, what's Saul doing here, right? Like, he's wronging David. Obviously, that's not good, and that's wrong. What do you do when someone wrongs you? Like, how do you react with that? See, I think a lot of us usually, if we're honest with ourselves, we usually pull the spear out of the wall and we chuck it right back. Right? That's, that's what we do. We start treating them the same way that they treated us. Hey, you said this about me, so I'm going to say this about you. You did this to me, so I'm going to do this to you. You didn't help me, so I'm not going to help you. This is how we think. What do you do when someone hurls a spear at you? You know what David did? And I think David's a great example for us is, hey, this is how we, this is the right way to deal with someone do, like, like sinning against us or somebody, somebody um, you know, wronging us in whatever way. What's David do? All right, what does he teach us here? You duck, you forgive, and you never hurl it back. That's what David does. He doesn't fight back. He doesn't defend himself. He ducks, he weaves, he dodges, and he runs. He gets out of the situation. And he runs away. We know that uh, David, he then goes home. And so Saul, knowing that David goes home, it says Saul sent agents to David's house to watch for him and to kill him in the morning. All right, but his wife, Michael, she warned David, who happened to be Saul's, Saul's uh, daughter, says, she said, hey, if you don't escape tonight, you will be dead tomorrow, okay? Because there's guys outside. I just saw them. They're out there. They're waiting to kill you. And so don't go out the front door, please. And so she lowered David from the window, and he fled and escaped. Uh, can you imagine how that conversation would go? Right? Like, husbands in here, like you run home tonight and you go to your wife and you're like, dude, your dad was just trying to kill me. All right? Maybe for some of you that's more real than, than it is, than I would think. But um, you're just like, hey, your dad just tried to kill me. And she's like, I know. You got to run. And she helps you pack and she packs up everything. She gives you some extra pair of clothes and just all that stuff. And, uh, and you're ready, you know, to, and you're ready to go. And, and eventually uh, she lowers you out of a window and her dad shows up and she lies to him when he's like, where is he? She's like, oh no, David, that David guy or my husband, you know, uh, he threatened to kill me. And so she completely throws you under the bus and then she goes and marries somebody else. Not cool. <laughs> That's what happens to David here. And so as David is at the height of his life, as he's got everything you could ever imagine, as he's got, he's got the girl, he's got the fame, he's got the career, he knows what his future is going to be, and it's awesome, all right? He's got everything that you could ever imagine. He's got the reputation. Everybody knows him as a, as a warrior, and he's only about 20 years old. As he's at the height of his life, the bottom drops out, and he loses everything. He loses his career, his home, his wife, his safety. And one of the cool things about David's life is that he wrote down how he felt. Now, I'm not a big journal guy, all right, meaning I never do that. Um, but I know for some people, as I talk to a lot of people, like journaling, I know helps. And I think it really, really, really helped uh, this warrior of a future king here. And we happen to have some of his, let's say, journal entries, all right, in the book of Psalms during this exact time. Now, for some of you guys... I don't know how, what, what's going on in your life. Like maybe at some point in your life, maybe in your past, you have felt the same as David had felt that night. Maybe for you at one point, your life was going great. You had the job, 
You had the relationships you wanted. I mean, you had everything. You were right where you wanted to be. You were accomplishing goals. All right, you were getting stuff done. And everything seemed to be perfect in your life. And then the bottom just completely dropped out from you. And you lost something big. And it was important. And you didn't know what to do. And you didn't know how to respond. See, as we try to feel what David felt, which is what we should all be doing here, some of us, that's just a lot easier than others. Because we've been there. See, Psalm 59, we actually get to read David's journal at the lowest part of his life. As he quickly writes down in his, like, in his journal, he quickly writes down how he feels as he's hiding and escaping from King Saul. And I would encourage you this week, you should go read it. All right, go, go read it. And it starts off basically, because we're not reading it here today, but it starts off where David's just like, rescue me. He's like, hey, God, I don't know if you see what's going on down here, but, like, this dude's trying to kill me, and I thought I was going to be the king, so what's going on? You know, are you, like, I need you to protect me here. I don't know where you want me to go. I don't know what you want me to do. Like, how do I handle this situation? He's just like, what's happening? He's just like, why? Why, why have you taken all this from me? Did I do something wrong? I don't think I have, but maybe I did. I'm not perfect. And the last thing that he quickly writes down, all right, is this. He says in Psalm 59, he says, and, and he's just like going off and he's just kind of just unloading on God as he's writing this down. And then he takes a breath. And he jots down, he says, but I will sing of your strength and I will joyfully proclaim your faithful love in the morning. The same morning he's supposed to be dead. He's like, no, 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 no. You'll protect me. And I'm going to sing of your love for me. He says, for you have been a stronghold for me. He's saying, you've protected me. And I think maybe as he's writing this, and maybe he's even saying this out loud as well, that he just, maybe he says this in like clenched teeth, like, I really hate what's going on right now. But he's like, but you have protected me. I see it. He's like, I'm still breathing. He says, you're a refuge in my day of trouble, which is today, God, by the way. He says, to you, my strength. He says, I sing praises to you. I don't feel like singing praises to you, but I am going to sing praises to you because, God, you are my stronghold and you are my faithful God. Now, as I was reading this week, like, I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't think I would have the drive in that moment to call God faithful. Like, I don't know. That's just not the word that I would use. Right? Like I read this, I'm like, faithful? You call, you call this faithful? Like this just doesn't seem like the word that I would use. Like it just doesn't sound very faithful with all the things that David is going through. And here's God. He's already promised David's going to be a king. That hasn't happened yet. What's taken so long? It's been years. He's lost everything. He's a fugitive on the run. Yet David looks towards God while his life is spinning completely out of control. And he sees God's faithfulness to him. David's life's not about to get any easier. For the next decade, he's going to be bouncing from place to place to place. And so, and so here, this night, what he does is he first runs to Samuel, the old retired prophet. He's only about three miles away. 
And he gets there and he tells Samuel everything. And Samuel's like, yeah, you got a problem. You got to go. And so David then goes to the priest, which is in a town uh, a lot farther away. And when he gets there, they, they kind of help him out. They don't know what's going on between David and Saul. David obviously doesn't tell him. And David's there and he's like, he's like hey, do you guys have like any weapons? Like, I don't even got a weapon to like protect myself. And, and they're like, well, no, we're like priests, man. We don't got weapons. You know, they're like, so yeah, it's not going to happen. And then one priest was like, well, we do got that sword, a Goliath's old sword sitting in the in the closet back there. And David's like, I'll take that. And they're like, yeah, technically it's yours anyway, right? Like you, you took care of him. And so David's got actually Goliath's sword and he wants to stay, but there's spies all over the place and there's spies among them, which is actually, this, a spy's gonna go tell Saul and Saul's gonna kill all these priests for this. And so he realizes that it's not safe anywhere in his country and so he actually runs to the enemies. He goes to the Philistines and when he gets to, he goes to the city called Gath, which actually happens to be the same city that Goliath was from. He, they go there, and they're like walking, David's like kind of, you know, staying in the shadows, like trying not to be seen, you know, that type of thing. And they're like, whoa, isn't that David, the king of the land? Isn't that the guy that the, Israel, that the Jewish people call king, right, or the future king? He says, don't they sing songs about him during their dances? They just can't get these songs out of their head. They're like, yeah. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Isn't this that guy? I mean, they're like, isn't this the guy who killed Goliath a few years ago? Isn't that Goliath's family over there? And David, he's just walking around like, wait, who? Who? Goliath? I've never heard of him. What are you talking about? What? You know, just playing dumb, I'm sure. You know, he's just like, what? What? And, and so David, what he has to do to survive is he has to act insane. All right? And so he starts drooling, he starts, he starts scratching everything, and he, starts, he just starts acting insane. And so they arrest David. They don't want to kill him because they're like this, inhumane. And so, and so he barely survives, we find out, and they kick him out. I mean, things just keep getting worse and worse and worse for David. And so David goes and lives in a cave. And he writes in Psalm 34. He says, I sought the Lord. And you would think he'd write, and he didn't answer me. I'm stuck in a cave now. Not cool. He says, now he answered me. It actually rescued me from all my fears. You're like, did he? Are you, you sure? He's like, those who look at him are radiant with joy, and their faces will never be ashamed. He says, this poor man, he's talking about himself. He says, I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and I cried, and the Lord has heard me. And he has saved me from all of my troubles. And as I read that, I'm like, like it makes me just want to like, did he? Are you sure, David? He saved you from all of his troubles? Are you sure you could say maybe some of your troubles or a couple of them? Or, you know, you don't have to, you know, Michael's not bothering you anymore. You know, so I don't know, stuff like that. Like, you're, you know, like, like some of your troubles, but all of your troubles? I'm like, it makes me just want to take him and be like, bro, you living in the cave. That's not cool. All right, that's not comfortable. Your wife is marrying somebody else. Not cool. You haven't even seen your family in who knows how long. You have no job, no career, no money, no home, no friends, no plan. And he doesn't even know yet, but he's never going to see his mentor Samuel again because Samuel's going to die. He doesn't know yet, but he's never going to see his best friend Jonathan again because Jonathan's going to die in battle in just a short while. And there's a bunch of people looking for him to try to kill him. Yet, it makes me want to say, yet you say God has saved you from your troubles? Sounds like there's nothing but trouble. It just doesn't seem accurate. See, what David's doing, and what he did so often, is he's looking at his problem through a theological lens. He knows 
that God is in control, and he believes God's promise, that he knows God's going to take care of him. And I'm sure he had questions. I don't think he's got the answers to any of his questions here. I think that's really what, where a lot of us get hung up, right? Like when we're going through hard times in our life, like what do we do? We have questions, okay? The main question is like, like why? God, why is this happening? I don't understand. If you're there, why is this going on? All right, if you're good, why would you allow this? We just ask why. And then it's interesting because then we get mad at God when we feel like he doesn't answer us the way that we want answered. See, God does not owe us an explanation. For some reason, this 20-year-old kid, David, seems to understand that. And he doesn't know the why. This doesn't make any sense to him. Yet he trusts that God knows what's best for his life. He says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. He's saying, he rescues me. Then he says, taste and see. And I bet he takes a breath. (sighs) He's sitting in that cave. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him. See, it's almost like David, he's thinking about all these issues. And you see throughout the Psalms, you see he's just like, it's like an emotional roller coaster. It's the highs and lows and highs and lows. And he's just like, he's just like, God, where are you? Then he's like, I trust you. And he's like, God, why can't, why are you letting this? He's like, no, you got this. I mean, it's just over and over and over and over again. And here's David. He's like, he's like, I don't understand this, but he's like, but you are so good. He's like, I know it, I believe it, I see it. And it keeps him going. Now, for us, for you specifically, I don't know what you're going through. Like, we've all experienced the bad days, right? Some of you guys, maybe you're sitting here right now, and you're just like, yeah, this is me, like, right now, terrible time. I got this going on in my life. I got that, and I got to worry about all these things. Um, Like, I get it. Like, there's been times in my life where life is just hard, and I'll come to church, and I'm just, and there's upbeat songs, and everybody's happy, and I'm just like, but I'm not upbeat, and I don't feel happy. There's been times where I'm like, "I I don't like where my life is. David is there. And he runs to God. Not just a one-time thing. It's actually throughout his entire life we see this. I mean, and he writes this stuff down. In Psalms 22, you ever feel abandoned? All right? In Psalm 22, he says, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? He's like, where are you, God? What's going on? You ever feel stressed out? David felt stressed out. In Psalm 31, he says, be gracious to me, Lord, because I'm in distress. Why am I so stressed? I don't even know. All right? You ever feel alone? In Psalm 25, he says, turn to me and be gracious to me because I am alone, God. I am completely afflicted. In Psalm 13, you ever feel depressed? All right, David felt depressed. He says, how long, Lord? Right, will you forget me forever? Are you just going to ignore me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And how long will I store up my anxious concerns within me? And it's just like agony, agony in my mind every day. Some of us have felt that. Have you ever feel sad? Psalm 42, it's like he's talking to himself here. He's like, why, my soul, are you so, are you so dejected? He's like, why are you in such turmoil? He doesn't even know. See, when you process with God, you invite God into the process. But you got to be real. You ever have that friend whose life is falling apart, but he acts like it's all good? You know, it's just completely fake, really. Um, meaning it, they're so good. They're kind of at, at putting on a show. Like you go to them and you're like, hey, man, how, how's it going? All right, and they're just like, man, it's good. Life is good. I got this and I'm, I'm doing this and God is good. You know, like that type of guy. All right, and you're just like, bro, you're on the brink of divorce. Like we all know this. Why are we acting like that's not happening, you know? Or your marriage is falling apart. 
Or you're like, you're like, dude, you lost your job last week. Can't be that good. See, we're to be real with God. Even when, even when we're running to a friend like that, it's just we, we even feel it. We're like, dude, okay, you're not going to be real with me? All right. See, that's not what God wants. God wants us to be real with him. God wants us to open up to him, especially when life is spinning out of control. See, if you have a relationship with him, like David did, you can pour your heart out to God and you can unload on him. And you can know that you can be happy like David's happy. You can have joy just like David had joy because those are not connected to your circumstances. Somehow, some way, you know that God's got this. See, for David, jealousy and comparison has ruined his life, and he's not even the person doing it. It's the lowest point in his life. He's all alone in a cave, has to act insane when someone goes by. He's lost everything that he's had. People are looking to kill him. And he enters into a period of waiting. I don't know about you, but I hate waiting. He has to wait for 10 years. All right, we're going to look at that next week. That's where we're going to pick up. So um, let's pray. God, we thank you for the story and for telling us what happened in real history. God, we thank you for, for David and, and how he connects to each and every one of us just because he's just a normal guy. And we're going to see that as we go through the weeks, that he is not anywhere near perfect. God, we ask that you would help us this week, number one, not to be jealous, not to compare ourselves to others. But Lord, especially when we're going through hard times and difficult times in your life, God, we ask us that you would help us to look towards you. We need your help. It's not natural for any of us. God, we need you. Some of us need to realize that here today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll see you guys back here next week. Don't forget, we have a photo booth out there with a professional photographer that will take your picture for free, and we'll send that to you. That's out front. And grab some cider, grab some popcorn. We'll see you guys back here next week.